Just a warning, this episode may contain language or topics that may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. It's cool how they built the tracks in the Meadowlands because it's basically just a pile of gravel that was just dumped and dumped and dumped. They made a huge roadway into the Meadowlands with gravel. And this is back in the 1800s, so you can imagine the type of machinery they used to do it. And they just kept dumping load after load after load after load after load. And then when they finally got enough fill in here, they were able to smooth it out and lay down the tracks. And that engineering has endured to this day. I'm walking along the same tracks that were here in 1870, that were laid down in 1870. It's pretty cool. From the banks of one of the most polluted rivers in America, to the ruins of New Jersey's not-so-long-ago industrial past. Wheeler Antabanez has seen a lot over the years from his explorations of the decaying built environments of northern New Jersey. He navigates through a modern-day, almost dystopian landscape, all while being surrounded by the hustle and bustle of suburban neighborhoods, highways, and city streets that echo in the distance. just to get out here, um, only to be cut off and not actually be able to reach them because there's water in between of unknown depth. Not much water, just a little. They're kind of like little islands out there. I assume they're for the antenna because there's this old antenna in the water. And you can tell it's really, really old. It's been sitting there in the water. Been there for a long time. Someone has set up this yard with all sorts of shopping carts and bicycles and twine, just all sorts of weird, a weird collection of carts, strollers, all this junk. So obviously people are over here. You, know, you see evidence of humans out here in the marsh all the time, but I don't run into humans very frequently, you know, which is fine. I'm not really looking to. I'm Wheeler Antabanez. I live in New Jersey and I like to go to all the abandoned spots and write about it um, a lot of times for Weird New Jersey and also I write books as well. How did you get into exploring abandoned places? Like what caught your interest in it? Well, when I was little, growing up in Caldwell, New Jersey, actually West Caldwell, I learned how to ride a bike. I taught myself in my driveway how to ride a bike pretty early. I think I might have been like seven or eight. I don't know, I was like young. And me and my friends, we all just started riding our bikes all over the place. And, you know, back then, I was born in 1977. So I grew up in the 80s and it was just kind of like this little suburban utopia going on back then where you could just go anywhere you wanted and you didn't have to fear anything. Um, and my parents, as long as I was home for dinner, they never really asked me like what I was doing or where I was going. And as it turned out, near my house, there was this giant tuberculosis hospital up on the hill and no one knew about it. I had never even heard of it. And one day we were up at this place called Fox Hollow, which actually became the housing for a lot of
lot of the Sopranos, like when they went to film the Sopranos. Um, but back in the 1980s, they were just building these McMansions. They were just getting started with this. And so we used to go and play in all these um, McMansions as they were being built, when they were just two by fours and piles of construction material and stuff. And it was it was like a paradise for us as little, you know, little kids. And then we started exploring the woods behind these houses. And when we got up to the top of this hill behind the woods, we came out one day and there was this massive abandoned hospital there that was the scariest thing we had ever seen and you guys got a picture of this it was like up on a hill there was no cars there was no houses there was no anything it was just woods which is pretty rare in essex county and this massive dilapidated overgrown spray painted hospital all white bricks massive huge and so we approached it a little bit and we like got through the bushes and we saw on the columns of where you'd enter into this hospital, there was like swastikas and it said, welcome Aryan warriors right across the front of these doors. And we were just what like, we were so scared when we saw this, that we ran into the woods and ran back to our bikes and all the way home. But then we knew that there was a giant hospital up on this hill. So we started going back and we started daring each other to go a little further every time. And eventually we got to know the place like the back of our hands. You know, it was like our playground, specifically my playground, because I live pretty close there and I would go up there all the time. So like I would end up taking friends on tours up there so they could come and, you know, see it because... We started hearing about it in school, like, oh, did you hear about this place up on the hill? You hear about this place? So anyway, um, it was completely closed off. Um, there, no cars were allowed up there. And so uh, it was basically like an island of abandonment in the middle of a sea of suburbia. And it was scary. It was a very like, haunted place, very scary place. But it was also, uh, it offered us complete freedom. My friends and I, we'd go up there and like smoke pot and drink when we were little, you know? So it was incredible. It was like, it was a place to go to get away from the rules. And it was just total anarchy. Also, in, just in my experience, no one ever got hurt. No one ever got in trouble. No, it was like a safe place, you know? It was really safe. And um, I, I just fell in love with it. And then so they tore that down. I went there when I was like a teenager with a group of my friends and we went up there. We were going to show a couple people who had never been there before. And the entire thing was leveled except for just a few outskirts, a few buildings on the outskirts. Um, and it was like this rubble. And um, oh my God, it was like one of the saddest nights in my life, man. Up to that point, I was like, I was still pretty young. A lot of sadder nights since, but oh my God. Yeah. It was just a, an amazing place. And then so what I found out was that, yes, there was this massive building that they knocked down up on top of the hill, but there was also just down the hill in Cedar Grove, a mental hospital called Overbrook that was on like 300 acres. Instead of white bricks, it was red bricks. But basically, I transferred all my wanderings and my hanging out up on top of the hill down into this abandoned as uh, asylum that wasn't even abandoned yet. So I was breaking into those buildings when there were still patients like wandering the halls and stuff, you know, just Seriously? because I was, yeah, I was so into what? it. Like, I was so into um, the building up on top of the hill. I loved it so much that we just, yeah. I just naturally gravitated down towards these buildings and about half of the complex um, on one side of Fairview Road in Cedar Grove, a lot of those buildings, like the nurse's station and stuff, they were completely abandoned but the buildings across the road were still had mental patients wandering the halls and then but everything was connected by tunnels so even if you oh, got wow. into one of the abandoned buildings you could easily go into one of the buildings that were still being used and you know so we used to infiltrate big time and i'm talking this is like when i was like 
you know, 14, 15 years yeah. old. Back then, we didn't fear like getting in trouble or anything like that. You know, there's nothing they could do to the kid. So we just yeah. were having impunity with this stuff. Wow. Now I'm 45 years old. It's a little different. <laughs> I'm not walking through people's yards and stuff anymore like I used to. Yeah. But um, <laughs> back then, it was like paradise. And this was the Essex, the Essex Mountain Sanatorium? Correct. Jeez. That's the official name of it. Yeah. <laughs> the fact that there were still patients there just kind of freaks me out. I mean, that's, that's cool. That one, but that like, one was empty, the TB hospital. And in okay. fact, like all these like medicines and stuff up there, like we found a bottle of morphine up there what? and all this stuff. But yeah, down below where the patients were, that was really freaky because like you'd see them. And they're like, you know, wandering around and just sort of shuffling around on the Thorazine. And there was like this little caged area where they would all go smoke, you know, like it was like a fenced in area. And I explored all that once it really got uh, abandoned. And okay. it turns out that that little Cajun area where everyone used to smoke was right next to the morgue. So they had to walk right past the morgue just to go smoke a cigarette every day. It's pretty sick, you know. Wow. So you find out like all these weird things that you just never knew, you know, infiltrating these places. And all the patient records were kept in place. So I used to sit there sometimes and just get a big pile of them and just sit in like a desk and just like read them, you know, like see weird. Them. You'd think like they'd destroy or take, you know, put them in a, somewhere like for safekeeping or something. So. Yeah, everything was there. All the equipment, everything. Oh, all the medical. And so you see, like, they used to, uh, like, hose down the patients and stuff in these tub rooms with cold water. Uh, which like, that, yeah. like, we know it's tortured now, but yeah. they used to call it uh, hydrotherapy back then. And so when you're walking through these corridors and you're seeing this abandonment, it's, like, really trashed. You know, everything's smashed. All the windows are broken. Everything's spray-painted, garbage and, and medical supplies and just dirt all over the floor. But then... There, and you're seeing this and you're like, oh my God, you're hearing almost the screams like echoing through history. Like, wow, yeah. people really suffered here. Yeah, it's terrible. That's crazy. So you can you can trip out on that stuff when you go places like that. And, you know, I just love that. So, For some, urban exploration is a pastime where they explore man-made structures. These locations are often not open to the general public. Wheeler tends to think of himself differently, though, he doesn't see himself as an urban explorer. So what is an urban explorer, Wheeler? An urban explorer is a person who goes around with a life list trying to get to all these different places. Like these urban explorers, they end up basically like they have a website and they'll have all these locations and they go to all these different places and stuff. I never really did that. I like to go to the same places over and over and over and over and over and basically just hang out there, you know, yeah, and turn cool. it into like, like my clubhouse or whatever. Yeah, it's so. like your place. Yeah. So that's what I like. Not wow. so much. They treat it like, you know, almost like bird watchers where they have like a life list. You know, I've been here, I've been there, I've been there, you know. Right. People ask me because I do a lot of stuff with Weird New Jersey. They're like, oh, you know about Clinton Road? I'm like, oh, actually, I've never even been to Clinton Road, <laughs> you know, and I don't care to. I mean, I'm sure it's yeah. fine, but it's just that's not me. That's why I kind of don't really consider myself that, you know, like I say, I'm just, a, I just like to go hang out. I like to get out of my house and go find a place where there's no people and I'm not going to see anybody. So trespassing was like a natural sort of thing for me. I like to smoke weed. So I'd always, when I was a kid, looking for places to go smoke weed. And that led me to these abandoned spots. You know, I also like, you know, back when I was little, I did a lot of spray painting and stuff like that. So, but even then I didn't go out on like long, big missions to try to like, go all city or anything, you know, I would just concentrate on my spots. 
That was what was always important to me. Then when I started following the Passaic River, it sort of expanded my spot. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I, instead of just being um, Overbrook and uh, the sanatorium, it was like 95 mile river that I followed and all the abandoned buildings along the way, like in Patterson and Newark. It was just like bliss. It was amazing. And now actually, because I've been following the Passaic River for quite a while, a lot of the places that I used to go to, like in Newark, especially, they've torn down many of these abandoned buildings. So I feel pretty lucky to have gotten into them when I did. And they're not the type of abandoned buildings that people like have on their urban exploration lists. They're sort of anonymous. Just people don't go there, I guess, because it's dangerous or because maybe other... I think people tend to just like follow each other around. Everyone will go to this like one mental hospital and then you'll see like hundreds of other people flock to that one mental hospital. And then even though I've been... Overbrook was a pretty popular place and a lot of people went there. Um, I always felt like it was kind of like my territory, even though it yeah. was a public institution. I mean, it's it's interesting because like people flocking to the same places to me just sounds kind of like not in, not as interesting and, and not it's kind of boring. Like I would rather go to places that like I feel like I've found on my own. Right. Because then it's like it's I feel like some like level of ownership to it. Like it's mine. It's my my space that I've like kind of discovered and I'm exploring rather than like people just kind of like flocking to the same place just because somebody else went there. I feel like that's just, you're not like, yeah, you're exploring, but you're not really like finding something new. Yeah. And anyway, exploring is kind of a misnomer for this because what are we exploring? Really things that are man-made. So obviously they're known man, you know what I mean? Like we're not like Magellan here, like Columbus or something. No, it's like, yeah, it's it's like, yeah, they're, they're created, but like now they're not what they used to be. It's something different, right? Like they're no longer used in the same way or they're no longer used at all. So it's, it's like a very different like perspective on that space. It's almost like, like research, actually. You know, it's like we're researching, like we're going back and taking a look at something that we already knew about a long time ago. Yeah. And now we're going back and researching it. And as far as like, you know, finding places and having them be like the ownership of it. That's how I felt with the tuberculosis hospital, the Essex Mountain Sanatorium, because like I said, I was like 10 years old. My friends and I found it on our bikes. We didn't know about it at all. We'd never even heard of it before. So to us, it was like, we didn't know what it was called. We didn't know the name of it. We didn't know what it was used for. We knew nothing. All we knew it was the scariest thing we'd ever yeah. seen. We wanted to go back as soon as possible. You know what I mean? Um, and so, yeah, that was like sort of pure exploration back then. And I do like to keep it that way too. Now, like when I'm on the river, yeah, I've looked at it on Google Maps and I'll maybe know that there's an abandoned building I want to check out, but I still feel like I'm kind of breaking new ground sometimes. And then of course, with the train tracks that I've been doing, that's pretty cool. I've been finding a lot of interesting stuff along the way. I don't know if you guys saw the abandoned uh, or the uh, old cat that I recently uncovered in Belleville. No, I didn't, I didn't see that. Yeah, I, there's a documentary on it, um, actually, that Weird New Jersey put out. But we found this, <laughs> I found this old parade float on uh, the Newark branch. And we ended up, it, it was a Macy's Day parade float. And we ended up getting in a new home. And it's a whole story, but uh, it was pretty cool. You know, a lot of interesting finds out there. A lot of adventures. It's interesting because you, you've kind of like made a career out of it. And what kind of led you to the Passaic River? Is it just because of you, you know, being in the area, growing up in the area? I think definitely growing up in the area. Yeah. I mean, this river has always been there. 
It's always been there. But then actually what happened was I lived in Whippany, New Jersey, and I was going for all these walks on along the Whippany River. And I was thinking like, oh, man, it'd be really cool to, uh, you know, get a canoe and, and go on the river and stuff. And so I actually did. I went on Craigslist and I, I got this canoe and it was like this whole big thing. But then the Whippany River was like a little bit shallow. So I went on to Google Maps and I followed the Whippany River down. And I saw that it meets up with the Rockaway River and Troy Meadows. And then I see that the Rockaway River goes a little bit further and it ends up in the Passaic River. And I was like, oh, Passaic River. Yeah. And so actually I knew from my past, um, the first time I'd ever gone canoeing was at the Environmental Center in Roseland, New Jersey on the Passaic River. I was like a very, very little kid in summer camp there. And it all sort of came back to me and I was like, oh. I can go to the Passaic River with this. And then once I started on the Passaic, forget it. I was just addicted. I, I was going back. I had the canoe. I was going back at literally every day, <laughs> I was, you know, exploring. And that was like exploring. It was like, whoa, because I didn't know any of the geography. There is Google Maps. You can see it from the sky, but there's no street view, obviously, on the river. So, um, you know, you're going there and you're finding things on the banks, like these old pumping stations. I mean, it was it was endless, you know just amazing. And a lot of diversity too. So like you'd have Newark, which is a, a big city, you know, you'd have Patterson, which is a different type of big city. And then you'd have like the, the marshes of Troy Meadows that were just swamp, you know, a lot of suburbia, a lot of cities and everything in between. So it was like this incredible journey through uh, North Jersey and man, it's been awesome. It's been really awesome. And it never gets old. Like I've been following this now for like 20 years or so. And it's just like, oh my God, I just can't get enough even still. My big project is I um, had a speedboat in the water down in Kearney at Raps Boatyard in 2012 and 2013. And I patrolled the river with like a nice motor on my boat for uh, two years. And that's like my big project that I'm working on. It's a book called Wheeler on the Passaic. And it's about those two years patrolling the lower river. So hopefully, you know, it's, it takes a long time. It's like 500 pages long. So I'm, oh, wow. yeah, it got a little bit out of hand, but I'm looking is forward it, to that one. Basically, is it, how do you write these? Like, uh, you, you know, you, do you write these as if you're just like patrolling an engine, just like whatever you see or, or like are you adding yeah, any, well, like, historical elements? Book, when I was patrolling the river for two years, what I did was I kept a notebook every single time, every day basically a journal. And I, I adapted those. It turned out to be like six notebooks filled. with oh, wow. Yeah. Like just, I don't know how many words that was, but it was a lot. And so <laughs> typed it all in, I've been editing it and I've been basically transfer transforming those notebooks, those diaries, those uh, ships logs, I guess, you, you know, you could call them into a novel, a, a nonfiction novel all That's about, really cool. you know, the stuff we found. And we, th there was a lot that we found a lot of interesting stuff. There was also a couple of cleanups going on in the river during that time. So we had a lot of interactions with the people that were dredging and, you know, the EPA people and stuff like that. It was a body that uh, washed up that my wife what? and I saw pulled out of the river. Yeah. Oh, and I, actually, I wrote about that in my book, uh, 13 from the swamp, which is available now, the count of finding a dead body on the river and stuff. Holy so shit. yeah, yeah, yeah that's that's cool. that's interview i think it was like 12 years ago or something on, on youtube about the body what was it a child oh that was a different body but yeah oh, okay so you found multiple bodies wait well, the child was the one the child's body, thankfully yeah that was thankfully. the one that was like moved right it was taken from like cemetery or something right and it was right yeah yeah it, what it what it was it was taken from a cemetery in connecticut and 
they found two fishermen found it in Clifton floating down the river in like a styrofoam casket, like a little baby casket, which looks like almost like a cooler, you know, small. And what it's theorized that because this baby, it was uh, born with a problem. I forget exactly what the problem was. And it wasn't expected to live, but it ended up living for like two years. And it became sort of, uh, you know, everyone knew about it. They're like, oh, it's a miracle baby. It lived for two years when it was only supposed to live for like a week. And then finally the baby died, unfortunately. And these people put it, parents buried it. And then it got dug up from a grave in Connecticut, theoretically, because uh, people who practice this religion, Palo Mayambi, which is like a magic type of uh, like zombie yeah. magic, they can, they get power from like the baby had power in their eyes because it lived for longer than it was supposed to. And they theorized that that's why the baby was taken, you know, for ritual purposes. And actually al- along the river, there's this um, the cemetery where there's always bodies being stolen. in North. Yeah. So uh, I didn't know people still did that shit. Oh, yeah. And in fact, I found like Santeria stuff all over the oh, river, geez. like dead birds in ritual, ritual killed birds. I found this one ritual that's also in my book, um, 13 from the Swamp, all about it was like cap guns and mouse traps and like all this weird stuff. And, but you could tell it was in like these um, cooking turkey tins or whatever. Oh, wow. Okay. And, and rum, like all this rancid like rum in glasses you could just tell you look at it, you're like oh my god this is some sort of magical spell here i mean actually intense yeah you know i might mess up your spell or maybe it's a good thing if i did i don't know i don't yeah i don't know it's either really good or really bad <laughs> yeah, exactly. so, so you never know what you're gonna find along the river yeah. that's why i love it and that's why i love the train tracks too same thing you never know what you're gonna find and the train tracks in the river are very connected because they pass over you know yeah. the tracks go over the river so I don't know if you guys heard about this trail they want to make from Montclair to Jersey City. Yeah. Those are the tracks that I walk. Oh, okay. Okay. And so my next book is called Walking the Old Booten Line, A Photographic Journey on the Abandoned Rails of New Jersey. And That's, it basically wow. is my walk from Montclair to Jersey City. I walked the whole thing in nine trips. Then I went and I flew my drone over it in like seven trips. So I got all this like really cool aerial footage. And then I got to take a helicopter ride to see the final bit of it at Jersey City. Like, so I flew oh, over nice. in a helicopter and took pictures, of, like looking back on the journey I just taken. It was pretty cool. So that's going to be coming out in October of this year. A book awesome. In, yeah. The title again? Walking the Old Line. And it's basically a sister book to the last book I had, which was Walking the Nork Branch. Um, so, and the North Branch and the Old Booten Line, they connect in Kearney Marsh out by the Hackensack River. So, uh, to me, like all this geography is connected, you know what I mean? Even, um, even where I used to hang out, like at the sanatorium in Overbrook, all that water on the mountain, it flows down into the Peckman River. Like after it rains, it all flows down to the Peckman River and then the Peckman River flows into the Passaic River, you know? So it's like, it's just all basically the, the whole watershed here is like, I consider like my territory i never really leave that territory except the one time when i flew over in manhattan well i mean you said the Passaic river is like 94 miles so that's a lot of ground to cover um yeah. and it so, drains even yeah more too. it's crazy to what it drains even more ground because you know that's just the main drain that takes all the water from all the tributaries in about like say, i don't know like 200 square miles or something all the way up into new york state that that's all Passaic river water it ends up 
This so, is just what I've learned along the way, you know. Yeah. <laughs> it only no, probably cool. matters to me, but it, I know I, I just like I love this stuff. So you know, I was gonna say like you really have to have a passion for it to like want to you know continue doing it so much and also to write about it. I mean, people explore, but they don't. Not everybody writes about it. What I guess motivated you to write about it, like write about your experiences. I actually appreciate that question because no one ever asked me about my writing. They always really? ask me places I explore and all this, but yeah, no one ever asked about the writing. And to me, that's the most important part because yeah, because I don't really consider myself what they call an urban explorer. Right. I consider myself a writer. And as a writer, the things I love to write about are the things that I love, which is going to these abandoned spots, going to the river. To me, as a writer, as a reader, it was only natural for me to go write about the things I love and. My first book was like this really angry, ranting book um, that I got arrested for and all this shit. And like, that's just not what I'm about. Like as an adult, that was my teen angst that I kind of had to work through. And after that book, I really had to sort of reevaluate and be like, this is not what I want to write about. This is not what I love. My anger, my hatred, all this stuff that I was indulging in back then, violent fantasies and things like that. That's not the type of writing I want to do. What is it that I love? And Naturally, I just gravitated towards writing for Weird New Jersey about the place I loved the most, which was uh, the sanatorium, you know, the Essex Mountain Sanatorium. So uh, really, I would say that this this type of exploration and just having fun in abandoned buildings and stuff, it turned out to be a really good thing. It wasn't bad at all. Like my parents used to be worried about that, you know, but it was good. It gave me a, a good subject matter to write about something that I could share with people rather than alienates me from people. What got you started writing with Weird New Jersey? Like, how did you hook up with those guys and, and start writing for them? Let's think. That was so long ago. I think it was, it was centered around the sanatorium. I think I wrote them. Oh, you know what it was? I wrote them a piece of mail that they couldn't publish. It was like this crazy piece of mail. And in fact, they had this, they had this event in Maxwell's in Hoboken a bunch of years ago, maybe like 10 years ago, where they had all the mail that they couldn't publish and different readers read it aloud um, in front of a crowd. And one of the pieces was the mail that I sent them that they couldn't publish. And I actually got to go up on stage and read it out loud. So I read, I wrote, just wrote this crazy email to them and they kind of remembered it. And they, in fact, when I went there the first time in their office, they had it framed on their wall. And I was like, oh, okay, <laughs> remember me, you know? So it, it all started with that letter and it was about the sanatorium and um, it was pretty nuts. Then, oh, what happened was I kept in touch with them and I sent Mark Moran an email and I was like, hey, I've been out in my canoe. I've been doing the Passaic River and all this stuff. And they're like, well, why don't you uh, do a special issue about it? Because I was saying, I want to do a book about it. And they're like, well, instead of doing a book, do a special issue. Mark Skirman actually said that. And I was like, yes, okay, I will. And so I did. And I really, I really put everything I had into that. I finished the exploration of it. I went out to places I had wanted to get to, but I hadn't been yet. And then I sat down and I forced myself to write it because it's not easy. Writing is like really hard, you know, as everyone knows, it's like the, one of the hardest things to do. And then it came out and it was just a good reception and sort of started me off. Luckily, my first book didn't really start me off. Nightshade on the Passaic, my special issue for Weird New Jersey was what kind of started me off. And then I just kept, I found that voice that I had been looking for and it turned out to be a nonfiction voice. So I started going out and just writing about my adventures that I was just going on anyway. I've been doing this for a long time and it never really occurred to me to write about it until Nightshade on the Passaic and then it all clicked. 
it's been ever since then I've had the right path and that path is the Passaic river. That's what yeah, I it seems, seems to be your place. Yeah. And you, you do this always alone or do you ever have anybody with you? Um, on the river, actually I have like a little crew people I trust. Um, my wife, uh, my friend, Frank, who is an excellent mechanic. He helped me out mechanically, um, you know, cause I had a lot of mechanical trouble keeping a boat on the river. The river's harsh, it's a very harsh environment. Uh, so I needed a really good mechanic. And luckily my friend Frank is excellent. And he, he actually was more than just a mechanical guide. He had been, uh, <laughs> sorry, he had been boating on the river for years. And so he took me out in his boat and showed me some stuff. And I was like, whoa, this is amazing. And he helped me find a boat. He helped me fix the boat. He helped me do everything. So awesome. my buddy Frank, uh, my buddy Mike, my wife, you know, Mr. Rapp, who used to own the boat yard, is that's where I kept my boat. He was a really good guide for me for two years. And then so 2012, 2013, I kept my boat on the Passaic River in Kearney at Rapp's boat yard. And then after that, Mr. Rapp unfortunately died. And then the boat yard is still there now, but it's just really in bad shape. I mean, really bad shape. Basically, you're going to ban a building at this point. And that happens to be right next to this rail bridge that's a part of the old Booten line, which is part of my next. So it, it all fits. It all comes together like gears in a cog. Oh, infrequented. You know, people don't come out here much, man. And uh, it's pretty cool to see it firsthand. A lot of really beautiful sights, a lot of really tragic sights too. And I've been out here for hours and I haven't seen a single person. Except for all the people driving and people flying over my head and these little flying airplanes. And I mean, I'm surrounded by people, I'm surrounded by civilization. But this is a little island where I can't reach them, they can't reach me. Sometimes, Local lore and legend make their way into Wheeler's travels. One such legend is Annie's Road. Like most urban legends, there are many variations to the myth. The earliest fables I've heard about Annie date back to the 1700s and take place during colonial times. These tales usually describe Annie as a young bride-to-be, walking with her family down Riverview Drive toward a shady glen by the river, where her groom is eagerly waiting. It's the happiest day of Annie's life, but just as her fiancé comes within sight, a runaway horse carriage whips around a bend, slams into Annie from behind, and drags her beneath the rear axle for several hundred yards, until her body is flung clear and her corpse lands with a thud at the feet of her horrified fiancé. I think I actually had a couple little, I don't really believe in ghosts, but I did yeah. see a couple like strange things on my, you know, at the sanatorium. There was this one place um, where they had all these leaves and it was like a big parking lot where people used to park. And the town brought their leaves in after the place was abandoned. They had lines and lines and lines of compost, basically. And me and my friends, we were there on our bikes and we, I think we had put our bikes down and we were just like, in the compost piles walking. And I look over at the hospital, which is all overgrown and scary looking. I see a woman standing there all in white. And I just was like, 
And I looked away for one second. I looked back and she was gone. It was like the slightest impression of a woman standing there in white. But then many years later, I found out that these balconies where I saw her standing, they used to take the tuberculosis patients and open the doors and they would wheel them out onto these balconies and that they would be in their white bathrobes like this, like in their white like gowns, and that they would try to get this fresh air for their tuberculosis it really freaked me out because i was like oh my god like i actually saw a woman in that same type of garb standing there just for the i I can't even see if it was real or not i don't know yeah and then another thing at the sanatorium i used to keep a bb gun up there i used to have like this uh, machine gun it was it looked like an m16 and i'd walk around the halls with this m16 all the time feeling like you know like i was the man i was like a little kid i was (laughs) Yeah. Old, you know what I mean? But like, uh, I felt like a big man with this big gun. And anyway, me and my friend Scott, uh, we were up there walking through the hallway one day and ahead of us, we heard somebody walking and we were like, hey, you know, and we chased them and then they took off running and we heard the steps like running down the hall. And it was like a little bit of a curved hallway. So anyway, we chased them and they we hear the footsteps go to the right in the hall in another hallway so we go down that hallway we hear a door slam we go through the door we kick open the door with a machine gun you know i'm just like pointing it waiting to corner somebody and it's a bathroom with no other exits we kick open every single stall there's nobody in there there's like a, a four-story drop or a three-story drop out the window like it was just no way anyone could have gotten out of that room and there was nobody in there. So it was like, we were following these like ghostly footsteps. So I can't really explain a couple things that I've seen. Other than that, I don't, I tend yeah. to not believe in these stories, you know? Yes. I think if I did believe in these stories, I wouldn't really be able to go. <laughs> go <laughs> yeah. I go, yeah. You know? Cause I, I, when I go like into these abandoned buildings and everything, I just, I don't feel any fear, you know? I used to when I was little, but. Yeah, there's nothing there. So oh, it's it's all gone for me. Even like a uh, fear of like homeless people and stuff like that. Like I've just been dealing with people on the streets for so long. It just doesn't scare me anymore. Consequently, I never had any problems. So yeah, I was going to say like, what kind of people would you run? Like, you know, if you do run into people when you are exploring these places, what kind of people would you run into? People less scary than me, you know, <laughs> I'm the scary person there now, you know, when I was little, I was really scared. Now I grew up to be the thing I was scared of. So, yeah. What and and really, of? I'm not that scary either. So it's, <laughs> yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's like your perspective when you're a kid, then, you know, what you're exploring is new to you and you're, you're a kid. Then as an adult, you see things a little differently, even exploring. I feel like maybe you see differently. Yeah. Because these places, I mean, they straight up look haunted. They are scary just on that level alone. But as an adult now, I'm not really scared of that. You know, it's all good. What is it about abandoned buildings that attracts you? And also your writing is interesting because it seems like it's it's like a public journal. Yeah, it's like one of those acquired tastes, you know what I mean? Where like you, you go in there and just it just gets under your skin and you love it after a while. Like it yeah, it really scares you at first and then you grow to really love it. And that's what abandoned buildings were for me. And yeah, as far as the writing goes, it is sort of just like, okay, I went here, I did this. I went here, I saw this. And it's just a matter of like going to interesting enough places where you can just write like that and 
it takes care of itself. You know what I mean? Like if you go to like the sickest abandoned buildings in New Jersey, believe me, you'll have something to write about at the end of it. You know, it's a little bit of an adventure. Um, and the train tracks are the same way, like walking through the Bergen arches, which is like these incredible train tunnels in Jersey city. It's like the Jersey city underground. And I came out and then I found this, um, in Jersey city, this really old cemetery. That was the cemetery that the Sopranos shot all their sequences in whenever they had a graveyard sequence and i explored like all these underground crypts in there and stuff it's just like it's just endless fun in new jersey you know if you're into that sort of thing so i don't know and then to write about it it's, it's just that's the best part because i like to do all my exploration in the winter time and then in the summer i'll just be sitting around writing 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 because in the winter you can see everything there's no leaves on the trees yeah, the infrastructure becomes known to you in, in the wintertime. In the summer, it's just a big splotch of green, you know? So it's good to go to known places. Like, I would definitely go, like, you know, hang out in places I know already. But as far as going to new places, I like to do that in the winter because it's, you know, especially with the drone now, you can really see through the, through the trees and stuff. So it's pretty cool. The drone brings a whole new perspective to all this. It's amazing. It's going to say like places that are maybe like hard to actually like physically get to the drone probably could like, you know, I mean, like in terms of walking like overhead, you can see more and get further. Oh, definitely. Especially like in places like um, the Meadowlands where you don't have a lot of access. The only problem is birds. You don't want to like mess with the bird. Like I don't want to hurt a bird. You know what I mean? And those little, those little blades are sharp. That's what happened to me in Jersey city. When I finally reached Jersey city from my, on my walk from Montclair to Jersey city, I wanted to fly my drone at the pier so I could get like a good shot of the waterfront where uh, Pavonia terminal used to be, which is now uh, what's present day Newport. But I put my I put my drone up and like within a minute it was swarmed by seagulls and I had to just like do this like really fast uh, evasive action, just like bring it right down again and land on the pier. Luckily I didn't hurt any birds and I didn't lose my drone, but I was like, I got to get a better view. And that's where the helicopter ride came in. I ended up going for this awesome helicopter ride over North Jersey and Manhattan. Um, And that's basically like the finale of my next book. So, and my next movie as well, it should be pretty cool. To see Manhattan from the air like that is like, whoa, it was awesome. Kind of touristy, but that's okay. (laughs) You know, I don't mind. How many books do you have in total? I'm not sure. Five or six or something like that. I got a few in the works as well. I have three in the works, actually. I have this book about the railroad tracks, the old Booten line. I have a book coming out after that, which is a novel. And that's called The Cemetery Clown. And it's about the funeral business in North Jersey. And wow. a few other subject matters too, graffiti. Bas- basically, though, it's about the mortuary business in North Jersey. And then after that, I have Wheeler on the Passaic. So I got three books lined up right now. The funeral business sounds that sounds interesting. So, yeah, I never yeah. really thought. Yeah, I never even really I used to it. work for uh, a funeral home back in the day. Like that was one of my one of my jobs. Uh, I was really interested in death as probably everybody is. And I I was curious about it and I wanted to learn about it. And so I figured what better way to learn about it than go work at a funeral home. So, and I had a friend whose father owned a funeral home. And so it just kind of worked out where I saw him one night and I was like, Hey, what do I got to do to get a job here? And he was like, call my secretary. And so I was like 18 at the time. So I called the secretary the next day and she's like, all right, you got a suit. And I was like, 
no, but I could get one. So I got a black suit at the thrift store. It costs like, I think my suit costs like $3 maybe. Wow. And uh, oh, <laughs> yeah, store, yeah, I guess. yeah, it fit perfectly. And I went, <laughs> and like the next day I had to take my earrings out and stuff. I worked in a funeral home from then on. And so anyway, I learned a lot about death, a lot about the funeral business, stuff like that. It was very interesting. It wasn't going to be a career for me. Originally, my parents were like, oh, maybe you could be a mortician. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it just... <laughs> It wasn't so much dead bodies. It was dealing with the families and the grief and stuff like that. That was really the hardest part. Like yeah. dead bodies, they're just dead. They don't, they don't matter yeah. anymore so much, you know, but the families that are left behind yeah. and they're in pain and, and you just feel for them so much. It's like, it's horrible. Like I couldn't deal with that. So, and also I got fired, <laughs> you know, so, <laughs> but it always stuck with me. And then um, when my parents died in 2020, they died within two weeks of each other. Oh, no, um, I'm sorry. Sorry. Yeah, it was it was pretty rough time, and I started dealing with the same funeral people that I'd worked with twenty years earlier. You know, he was really great with us and everything. He was he, it was all good, but it stirred up all this stuff in me, and I just I don't know. I had this energy in me after they died. I just sat down, and my mom she had like all these uh, notebooks when I was cleaning out her house that were sitting in um, like one of the drawers, and they were just empty notebooks. So I just started writing. And what I wrote was this story about a clown, a, a guy who's sort of an unwilling clown. He doesn't want to be a clown, but he unfortunately looks like a clown and he gets picked on all his life. And his family happens to be in the funeral business and he becomes a mortician. And it's like, it's basically this guy's life. And uh, so it's called The Cemetery Clown. And that's, that's the novel I'm working on after I finish with this train book. So hopefully it'll, be, hopefully it'll be like one, two, three with books coming out. And then after that Wheeler on the Passaic book comes out, I'm going to sit back and say, you know, hopefully I'm done. <laughs> like I want to just fire. Intern, intern can do it. Yep. Yeah, right. It's um, just writing. It's just yeah. so hard. It's so, so yeah. hard. It's, yeah, it's very time consuming. Um, uh, you know, what I really love is reading. <laughs> like reading is easy. I read every day. I just, I love books, you know, and I just, I think putting in the work to do the writing, that hard work to do the writing, to be on the shelf with all these authors that I've loved so much, that's what keeps me going with the writing. Yeah. And I, and what you were saying before about how these people explore, but they don't really write. I think that's why, because they're really into exploring, but I just happen to be really into reading. So it's really, I consider myself more of a reader than a writer. You know, I'm just trying to put my two cents into that like vast library that we have, you know, the collective library. And most of my books will probably be about what they call urban exploration, but I, I look at it like slightly skewed, you know, what? but I just, you know, for any writer, they say, write about what you love. So this is yeah. where I love. And you still are, right? Kind of luckily. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Luckily, I've been able to continue on with that for quite a long time, you know, while a lot of others have fallen. Unfortunately, I, you know, I watched a lot of my friends like die and shit. So this is like, I mean, a lot of people have fallen off, you know, with drugs and whatever. Yeah, I've been lucky. I've been really lucky. Lucky and, to be alive. And with the reading, which is obviously a solitary activity right and also you going into these abandoned buildings or even the exploring you do for them you know sometimes you do it solitary so is that a big part of what helps you continue to do it is that you have your own space 
I have plenty of like privacy and, and room to do what I want to do now. But yeah, when I was young, I didn't necessarily have that so much. You know, I either be stuck at my parents' house when I was little, or then you know, like I sh- had roommates or whatever. So I was always like going out into the world, yeah, to to have my own space. And I would seek out these places where I could be alone, you know, for different reasons. A lot of times, because it was like, like I said, smoking weed, you know, you got to find a place where you're not going to get caught. So that had a lot to do with it, especially when I was very young. But then, I don't know, I just, I just got to like it, you know what I mean? And as far as going solo into buildings, especially like up at Overbrook, for instance, if you go there with more than one person, inevitably you're going to start having a conversation because people talk. And then if you start talking, inevitably your voices are going to ring through the hallways and inevitably the cop that's sitting outside is going to hear some talking or some shuffling or some smashing, whatever. And then they're going to come in and arrest us all. You know, if I fly solo, I'm a ghost. No one sees me. No one hears me. They may smell my patchouli, you know, but it's like a fleeting essence that that's, lingers after i'm long gone so yeah. um i try to keep my next out. question yeah that was my, my next question was going to be like you know in terms of like not getting caught because you know the places you go i don't know if they're like like solely like private property or you know some things are public and, and you can kind of go around um, well i don't think like most are, yeah. when we used to go up there when we were little there was this van and like i said it was sort of like an island of just trees and stuff. And and you couldn't drive up there because both entrances to the hospital at the base of the mountain were blocked off, but there was this police van that would go. So all you had to do was just, you know, avoid the police van. It was easy. And once you got in the building, forget it. They're they're never going to catch you. There's tunnels, there's all ways to evade them. So we never got caught up there. Uh, Even though it was like a $500 fine or something, that's what the sign said. Groups of kids would get caught there all the time. But, uh, you know, me and my friends, we were just... We knew it too well. Then when they knocked that down and we, I moved down to Overbrook, none of my friends, you know, we had grown up by that time. So like my friends weren't really into this anymore and I didn't hang out with them, you know, in the same way. So it was all solo completely. And then it became out of necessity just to not get caught because the cops were like literally right outside. They were patrolling like constantly. And I went up there for however long it was and never got caught. So I think it was 2007 when they finally abandoned it completely. And then they tore it down, probably finished in like maybe 2018 or so. It took a long time for them to tear that down. So I was up there, you know, the whole time and never had a problem. Towards the end, when they were knocking it down, I was like staying on the other side of the fence and just filming the destruction. I was like really into the the demolition of the actual hospital and watching it come down and, and getting it on like HD video. And so they saw me do that the whole time. But because I wasn't trespassing at that point, I was on the right side of the fence. I didn't have to hide. And the cops would sometimes stop and be like, hey, man, you're getting some good footage. I'd be like, yeah, dude, <laughs> you know, I'll, I'll, same thing with like the train tracks. You're not supposed to go there, but the cops don't really care. I mean, you know, they have better things to do a lot of times than bother with like these small infractions and whatever, especially on the train tracks. I don't know how they expect people to not walk on these abandoned tracks because there's no danger to it. There's no trains anymore. And it's like a convenient shortcut. Like, am I going to walk all the way up the block and then go over and then come all the way back down? Or am I just going to walk right across on these train tracks that aren't even being used? So to have these no trespassing signs up in Newark and in Belleville and all this, it's like almost an affront to the residents who live there. It's like they can't even utilize this open space in their own town. You know what I mean? Like, so. Whatever. Yeah, it's, it's like, um, 
like here in like uh like Matutch and Edison area, um, we have like the Middlesex Greenway, and that was a railroad track. Um, and I remember as a kid, because it wasn't paved, that was like, you know, you kind of go walk it and you hang out around there. That was like our little because it's not a lot around here, but that was like our exploring. And you know, then they turned it into like a park essentially, and now it's paved, and now everybody's on it and running and cycling and walking, and it's it's like it's like a weird and different experience to see it used by like everybody instead of like just the kids with their bikes, like, you know, and nobody knows you're down there kind of thing. So it's, well, it's, that's actually yeah. my complaint about this old boot line greenway that they want to make too. It's, it's ridiculous when you pave old railroad tracks to call them a greenway, because when you abandon them, they instantly become a greenway. They grow up, the deer move in, the wild turkey, the coyote. I've seen coyote in Newark on, on this railroad line. Really? So yeah, and they're going to go pave this thing. And how are these deer going to get from Newark to yeah. wherever? Like, this is where they live now. This is this yeah. is their only spot in these locations. And they're going to go in there and pave it from side to side. And it's, they're going to call it a greenway. It's a roadway, not a greenway, you know? So on one hand, I would rather see a bike path from Montclair to Jersey City than a row of condominiums that stretches from Montclair to Jersey City. Okay, yeah. But the Greenway is really a lesser of two evils because it's deceptive. They call it that, but it's not real. It's just another road. So I don't know. That's true. You know, I just noticed now, like like you said, condominiums and things and townhouses, all these things are going up and it's like, but you're taking away all the green space and now there isn't enough green space. So like, when things are abandoned and they get like overrun with, you know, weeds and, and grass and plants that grow, like that gives wildlife a, it's kind of like taking back space for wildlife, but then you kind of take it away when you start to build more like man-made things just for, for people to occupy and it's less space for animals. Yeah. That's what happened with Overbrook, man. And it was so sad because like I said, I was watching them demolish the place. I was also keeping my eye on the deer that lived there and they, literally got pushed into the streets they got pushed into the streets they got pushed into people's backyards um and now where they're because the buildings they used to protect because they were a no trespassing zone there was 300 acres they were completely protected humans couldn't even like weren't even allowed to go in there so the animals just flourished you know they really like had a safe place and it was great. Like, yeah, even the people that went in there, like me, we were treading so lightly that we probably didn't even disturb the deer and stuff like that. You know what I mean? But then once they ripped it down, oh my God, I saw some, I saw some deers in distress that were stuck behind fences. They couldn't get past stuff like really disturbing to look at. And, uh, you know, there's just no planning for the deer. No one cares. We don't, human beings, we just, we don't care about stuff like that. And any little bit of space in North Jersey that's available, we're just going to gobble it up and develop. That's just how it goes. So I guess, you know, there's really, now that I'm a little older and I have a little bit like more experience and maybe some maturity, it's just like, I can accept these things, but at the same time, I don't like them. <laughs> you know, I still feel the same way as when I was a kid. Like I remember seeing the tuberculosis hospital, the rubble, and it just ruined me, man. It was like, oh, how could they do this? Like, I felt like, they really messed up, man. They really made a bad mistake. And, you know, it's hard to like look at things like Ukraine and see the buildings there and, and call losing my abandoned building a tragedy when you're seeing these horrible, real tragedies in like Ukraine. But, you know, on a lesser level, maybe not even on a lesser level, though, because the deer, it's like, dude, we got to do something. We, we need a place for these deer where they can just be deer. We need a place for 
the animals around here where they can just be what they are. And these abandoned buildings are the last little refuges for them. And every, and they also happen to be my last little refuge too. So it's like, I feel entwined with their fate a little bit, you know? Wheeler, one question is, so the work that you've done is Passaic County, Essex County, and that seems to be because of you growing up there. Have you thought or entertained the idea of expanding to different parts of New Jersey? Well, you know, the the Pine Barrens always appealed to me down there, down the shore. And my grandfather, when I was little, he lived in like one of those old people places in Lakehurst. And I used to go down there into the Pine Barrens and I used to stay overnight with him and he would tell me the story of the Jersey Devil. And uh, I would get really, really scared because uh, there was a pine tree right outside his the window in the room where I used to stay in his house. And, you know, we were in the Pine Barrens and he taught me how to fish down there and all the creeks were like the, that brown water that they have in the pine barrens and stuff. So yeah, I was, I love it down there. It's awesome. It's really awesome in the Sandy pine barrens. I'd love to do a little bit more down there in South Jersey. Uh, as far as expanding, I'm pretty loyal to the Passaic river. I really, it just interests me so much. I wouldn't really go further. Coolest thing I got to do was be in a book, which was awesome. Um, it's called Islands of Abandonment. And it was by this really amazing Scottish writer named Cal Flynn. And she actually flew all the way to America to um, check out the abandoned cult mill in Patterson. So I met up with her and I took her like all through this mill. And she was writing about stuff that I've been talking about for a long time. Like I said how... Um, you know, the sanatorium was like an island of abandonment. And I guess maybe she had heard me like say that over the years, like in some of my stuff. And that's how she found me because that's the title of her book. And so anyway, this book was like really big, really respected book, um, not just in the UK, but in America too. And it's just like, it's published by Viking in America. And I got to be a chapter in this book. It was like probably the highlight for me of just like everything, just to be a part of this. And it really, it's not about me, but man, to be in it is just oh, so awesome. So I'd recommend that book to anybody. Um, Islands of Abandonment by Cal Flynn. Excellent, excellent book. Won a lot of awards and stuff. Yeah. Is that the place with the multiple buildings in Patterson or is that? Yeah, it's like the old uh, Colt gun mill. They, they, it's where the Colt uh, revolver or every revolver was invented. Uh, and sure. they also did a lot of like silk work there. So it was a silk mill afterwards okay. there's it's basically a little little cluster of mills um yep, that's the one then yeah yeah at the base of the falls all overgrown though filled with some of the best graffiti in north jersey and um you know a lot of people doing drugs there a lot of people camping out living there and stuff so kind of dangerous uh, extremely dangerous actually yeah maybe um, people don't don't go there if, if you... <laughs> yeah i wouldn't recommend yeah. it I mean, and, unless yeah. you're have some sort of death wish or something, you know, or if you're, you have a reason to be there. Like I have a reason yeah. to be there. I can walk yeah. through there. You know, a, a graffiti person could walk through there. Like a drug person could walk through there, but like your average guy with like a, his family along in tow should not go there. <laughs> you know, <laughs> family trip. Yeah. yeah. Don't take a family trip to the Colt Mill in Patterson, but do go see the falls. It's right next to the falls. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. The falls, so the falls are fine. But if yeah. you like stray just a little bit from the falls, you're going to find some really cool shit. But it's dangerous, you know? Yeah. Whatever. Chandy, have you been to the That's falls? one of my spots. I love that spot. No, I haven't been but to the falls. Gotta, yeah. Go. 
But I mean, yeah. for work a few years ago, I would go, I would have to drive to Patterson once or twice a week. And um, I I wanted to kind of go exploring in, in that area, like Wayne and Patterson. And Patterson, Patterson is, is so beautiful. I love it's, it. It's really interesting, right? It, um, Zoe and I were talking about it, just how the industrial history of it. Yeah. It's one of those. Patterson, Newark, like all the Jersey City, like it's like actually like learning the history and going through and and seeing like what was and what is now is really interesting. Jersey City is awesome. I love Jersey City, man. Oh, I used to live in Hoboken for a little bit and um, I used to drive into Jersey City and I always used to wonder like what is underneath this roadway, like, you know, on the way to the uh, Holland Tunnel. And then that's where this rail line that I followed from Montclair came out. And I was like, whoa, I always wanted to see this, you know, and there I am. So again, the geography is like always like, I just follow the land. Is that the one that's connected to that larger train station that's no longer used in Jersey City? Uh, Oh, you mean the one in Liberty State Park? Yeah, or no. Yeah, that's the thing, the Lackawanna. There's like oh, four right. yep. train lines in there. So you got like, okay. it used to just be a whole rail, like the whole waterfront there was all rails. And that's why at the end of my book, I'm actually, I'm not even following rails anymore. I'm following the streets, 11th and 10th in Jersey City, going towards the waterfront, toward like, you know, there's like the Newport Mall. And then there's like this whole like uh, Hudson River walkway that used to all be train tracks whole thing and it was cool because like they had these these really old cars back in the day they they were all painted black everything was painted black because they would burn coal and it would get all like the the cars all dirty and stuff so they just painted everything black to avoid being dirty looking and you see these old pictures and it's just like ah so beautiful it's so industrial and harsh and awesome and now it's just like a mall (laughs) (laughs) big chase bank building and just like you know all this all this development. So, I mean, I don't think, you know, that stuff's inevitable. It's just, it, that's what it's going to be. They're not just going to leave these train tracks here. Obviously it's like prime real estate, but I like going back and finding like those old pathways. And yeah, I think in Jersey city, I mean, that might be one of our next, is it St. Joseph's church? Cause of the urban legend with the similar to what you saw Wheeler in um, the sanatorium of like a woman. And dressed in white, but I don't know if you've heard about that urban legend. But no, I never did. I would recommend if you're looking for something like that, the Harsimus Cemetery. That place is awesome, and that's where the Sopranos filmed all their stuff. And like, you can actually find these crypts that you can like go into and stuff. It's like really old stuff. So yeah, that in Jersey City, that to me was the spookiest highlight. And it's surrounded by all these old train lines. And that's how I stumbled across it, just by walking in on the, on the old lines. And the graffiti there is amazing. Only thing you have to worry about is um, people living out there in, in these spots. There's in Jersey City, especially in the summertime, like I go there in the winter and there's a few hardcore homeless people out there, you know, even in like zero degree weather. But like, if you go out now in the summertime when it's all overgrown, you're going to find like communities of people out there doing fentanyl and you know living hard hard lives and uh just be careful the outskirts of any city like that is going to be like really dangerous right now especially after covid i mean it was dangerous before this pandemic started now you go to patterson it's like whoa really there's some they got some serious problems with drugs going on right now it's a harsh world you gotta be careful everywhere you go, but Jersey can get real dangerous real quick. 
Shandy's rethinking that. Uh, <laughs> the yeah. Um, I'm, well, I mean, I I'm, a huge, fine, but... well, I'm a huge fan of The Sopranos, so anything related to that is, I would, I would do. It's actually, uh, when I was a volunteer at a nursing home, one of the, I guess the guys, the old people, um, he, um, he lived a couple doors down from the house that was filmed, but that's North Caldwell, right? So that's different. That's not. Yeah, well, that that's like the other end. You know, they filmed from North Caldwell to Jersey City to New York. I mean, all that this whole area in North Jersey, like even my town Montclair. There's like all sorts of places in Montclair. The tattoo shop where I got tattoos, they they made that into. Um, that's where Tony was. They had a, like an orange juice stand. He went to go get his orange juice, and they tried to carjack him. That was actually a jinx-proof tattoo in Montclair. So it's just everywhere. I mean, you can name places like that everywhere. But yeah, specifically though, this one place in Jersey City, the Harsima Cemetery, where they filmed all their cemetery scenes, that is like the coolest place out of all the Soprano places. I mean, you gotta check this cemetery. I love out. cemeteries. And it's really cool yeah. too. They actually have like concerts there and stuff. Like, um, yeah, because it's not abandoned, but it's they don't really have the money to maintain it. So they okay. have like all these volunteer groups come in and like clean up and do all this weed whacking, and they'll have like these benefit concerts to like pay for little cleanups and stuff. But if you look, there's so much history in this one spot. You just got to check it out. It's amazing. I'm definitely down for checking that out. Yeah, I mean, this is what I do. It's really. Yeah. It's not that big of a deal. A lot of people do it, but <laughs> a lot of people fascinating. don't write about it though, right? Yeah. I, yeah, that might be the difference. Yeah. That might be the difference. And it's also like their their motivation for doing it. And there's like, I don't know. I mean, everybody's different. Yeah. Yeah. I think most of the people who do what I do are really looking for some sort of like Instagram fame or something yeah. like that. Yeah. You know, you see like but, TikTok videos and you're just like, okay. So there's that element to it, but at, at the same time, just hanging out in abandoned buildings and stuff is like really cool. So you can't blame people for doing it. I mean, oh, yeah. whatever their motivation is, like you can see why it's attractive to people. Yeah. So. And you going from a lot of fiction writing and then is The Cemetery Clown your first fiction? No, I actually have a novel out called Matt and Just Forever. Okay. That's fiction. That's okay. available on Amazon. Okay. That was my first novel. Okay. So this will be like my second nonfiction my second fiction novel. Sure. But I would say that my book, Wheeler on the Passaic, is also a novel too. It just happens to be nonfiction. It's a lot easier to write fiction because you can just make up anything you want. You know, nonfiction is like, oh man. I try to be pretty stringent on my ethics as far as like, you know, I'm not a reporter. I can I could lie if I wanted to, but I try not to ever like have any untruths in my nonfiction. I want it to be like exact. And so when I go do research and stuff on a place, like I, I want like my dates to be right. I want everything. I want, if I'm going to talk about pollution, I'm going to study the EPA reports. You know what I mean? Like just for my own sake, I like to be that thorough. When I do my reading, I like to read a well-prepared document, not something that someone just threw together. I actually care about the finished product. So I try to make it as good as possible. Are all your books available on Amazon or? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, you can go to abandonedbooks.org. That's the publisher website and um, find them all from there, basically. Coming out in the fall, right? And, and you said you're having a few come out then too so october 30th it's going to be a premiere on youtube of the video that's you know going to accompany 
the old Booten Line book. So there's going to be basically a dual thing. The video's free. Anybody can watch it. The book, you know, you have to go on Amazon and buy it. You know, I like to, when I do a project now, I like to have a video and a book. That way everyone can see the video. And if they see value in the video, then they can go buy the book. But either way, I get to share it, which I like. I think if you just put a book out these days, maybe a few people buy it. But like, if you put out a video in a book, they, then they can see like, oh, here's some here's something interesting and i always try to keep my books have a little bit more than the video you know so if you look watch my newark branch video you can go a lot deeper if you buy the book you know what i mean try to do it that way thanks for thanks. being on the podcast I yeah really thank, you. thank you we all all right thank you well that's going to do it for this episode of bound by the cloak We'd like to thank Wheeler for joining us for this week's episode. Wheeler has written quite a few books, and you should really check them out. You can find out more about his books at LuckyCigarette.com and AbandonedBooks.org. Some of his books include 13 from the Swamp, The Old Asylum, and Other Stories, and Walking the Newark Branch. And don't forget, be on the lookout for Wheeler's latest book, Walking the Old Booten Line, which will be available October 31st of this year. On October 30th, look out for the video premiere on YouTube accompanying Wheeler's latest book. Follow us on social media. We're on Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, and even TikTok. You can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening to another episode of Bound by the Club. We'll see you next time.